everybody, and welcome back to the Music Industry 360 Podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa, and today we're going to switch it up a little bit. Uh, Instead of talking about some of the services we offer or services that you can get out in the uh, music industry, we are actually going to talk about the Music Modernization Act, which is in the recent news. Uh, And today I have a special guest, Jorge Brea, our CEO. Hey, Vanessa. How you doing? I'm good. Welcome back. (laughs) We're going to bore everyone to death with this discussion. (laughs) It's going to be hilariously fun. Yeah, I was going over our show notes here and I was like, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll get through it and hopefully everybody, uh, you know, from uh, new artist to mid-level to established to whoever you may be, manager, uh, learns a little bit in case you were wondering what this act is about. So. Great. All right. So let's get started then. Jorge, what is the Music Modernization Act? Sure. So the Modern, the Music Modernization Act addresses a, essentially a really big problem in the music business. Many songwriters and music publishers have had trouble collecting royalties for the use of their songs for digital streaming. You know, as the industry has changed, obviously, the, the laws were written a long time ago and they have never been really changed up until now to reflect like what's happening in the, um, you know, streaming side of the world. You know, today's systems and organizations that administer these mechanical royalty payments for the reproduction and distribution of songs are just simply like not up to task. Millions of dollars in royalties are going are going unclaimed. And as such, music publishers have tried to create a solution by brute force, filing lawsuits for billions of dollars under the copyrights, draconian civil penalty regime, etc. I mean, even in the news, you can look up how. Spotify uh, was uh, sued for for quite a bit of money and had to settle, etc. So effectively, the act updates licensing and royalty rules for streaming, giving royalties to songwriters and artists on songs that have been recorded prior to 1972. And it also awards new rights to music producers and mixers. Digital service providers such as Spotify and Apple Music are now going to be much more uh, involved in working together with publishers to manage licenses in a newly uh, refreshed process. And this is all, of course, uh, still pending full passing of all in Congress, but that's at least a a quick kind of download of what the act is. So, okay, let's back up a little bit. So um, if you are a songwriter but not a musician, this is what, um, this will help you get money off of what you've written, basically. Correct, yeah. I mean, sometimes, you know, there's uh, music that's being submitted to these services where, uh, metadata is included, but we don't actually have any, uh, in, or the service providers don't have any information as to who wrote the song. So these royalties go in effectively like a black box, and the service providers have to do their best to try to identify what publisher to pay it out to and what writer to pay it out to. So this is also trying to kind of just put standards in place from a content delivery standpoint, and so that service providers know how to deal with these royalties that have been unclaimed for many years. So who's holding on to all these royalties then? So sometimes the, the digital service provider may hold on to it. Uh, other times they may pass it along to a performing rights organization like ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. And if ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC do not have any idea of who to pay it out to, they effectively hold on to it. And after many years, if it goes unclaimed, actually they can tend to keep it. So it, uh, as you can tell, there's a lot of songwriters that if they're not knowledgeable about uh, publishing, PROs, et cetera, can effectively lose out on a revenue stream. And, and this is becoming much more of an important thing as streaming continues to grow because the revenues are growing from a songwriter standpoint due to that. Um, so how does this affect how things are currently done? <clears throat> sure. So the MMA, the Music Modernization Act, I'll just refer to it as MMA for now. Okay would create a new licensing collective that will gather data about who should be paid for the use of those songs and to distribute royalties, replacing the 
unpredictable litigation bazooka of statutory damages with a fair system. That's a copyright fix that I think we can all get behind. Uh, the MMA does have some flaws, though. It has some language that seems to define audio streaming as a reproduction and a distribution under copyright law, even if no permanent copies are made. So while that language refers only to music streaming, other copyright holders might use it to attack key court decisions that protect Internet video services and cloud computing. In addition, you know, control of the licensing collective created by the bill is weighted rather heavily towards music publishers and not actual songwriters. So that's why there's still a little big debate uh, going on. It sounds very confusing. Uh, it, it is, and and I'm trying to explain it in in, in the quickest, easiest way uh, possible. But it's just kind of a very difficult topic to do that in. Um, I I do think though that these flaws are fixable. You know, the same though can't be said for the Classics Act, which is a part of this, and it creates a new obstacle for users of old music. That act would extend parts of federal copyright to cover sound recordings that have been made before 1972 which are currently covered only by a patchwork of state laws. So that means for the first time, recordings made between 1923 and 1972 couldn't be streamed on digital music services or internet radio without a license. And failing to get one could leave the streamer liable for massive, unpredictable statutory damages. So this is really trying to fix uh, all these songwriters that effectively have never had any sort of digital metadata or any kind of... um, you know, detail within the DSPs or the digital service providers, uh, and hopefully there's a solution for them, but um, it's not a very easy one to fix. So this affects people like, say, like in the hip-hop genre who like to use music from before 1972 and use it as, like, use the beat or something. Yeah, and actually, you know, that creates further challenges. It's kind of even a a whole even more complicated topic because some of that stuff um, these producers might be sampling even illegally because there's not even a way for them to know who to contact or who the songwriter is, et cetera. So um, this well, kind of affects know, them. Sorry, I was going to yeah. say, if you don't know, then like, then don't use it. Right. You, <laughs> you know, know what? That, that sounds like such an easy solution. <laughs> but I think that, you know, uh, there's kind of, I've always said this, I've been on panels and I've talked to a lot of people that as, you know, there's more music coming out, there's more young producers and young artists coming out that don't put an emphasis on the importance of copyright. So they're they're hearing a sample, they sample it, they release it, they think it's cool, and then they forget, oh wait, that's probably illegal. And what's even more surprising to me is when you hear cases of, of really major artists that effectively totally forgot about the aspect of getting permission to use certain samples. So mm. I know that I've gotten some music videos sometimes that have had music. I was like, no, that sounds like a, another artist's music from somewhat recent, you know. So I have to reach out and ask them, like, do you have permission to use this, yeah, you know, in your yeah. track? So. Yeah, and, and oftentimes you may get a yes, um, but, but it's not really a yes. And I think that over time, technology will help with this. You know, services like Shazam or even a company that I'm really cool with, uh, ACR Cloud out of China, they, they're creating sorts of uh, fingerprinting solutions that help distributors like us uh, verify if like songs are actually fully uh, original or not or if they match others so it's uh, it's always been a problem that's for sure mm. all right so let's go back to the classics act because I, I rudely interrupted you but uh, can we just elaborate that on a little more you're never rude so no worries <laughs> uh, the classics acts will basically put today's digital music giants like Pandora and Sirius XM in a pretty pre- privileged uh, position Many of them already pay royalties for some pre-72 recordings as part of agreements that they struck with record labels on terms that they simply won't be able 
you know, to like smaller web streamers or college or independent radio stations. But the classic DAC will also make it much harder to hear significant recordings from the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. These recordings will remain under copyright as much as 144 years. Uh, but with the addition of federal rights and penalties, streaming those works will, will get a lot risky. So as decades follow decades, current rights holders become even more become ever more you know, difficult to identify and locate, um, as we know, because records become outdated. So even a conscious uh, streamer could face uh, literal lawsuits from a musician's distant heirs um, and estates. Um, and it kind of sucks. I mean, I enjoy a lot of that classic stuff uh, as well, but it looks like SiriusXM might be the only place to hear it. So wait, so if I wanted to listen to like Elvis Presley from, you know, the 50s, um I wouldn't be able to listen to them. So I think Elvis is probably a, a, a okay case because there there's a huge estate and there's a lot of licenses already in place. I would say anything that's a little bit more obscure and really unique that that it may not be necessarily like a household name. So let's call it kind of like an independent from like the 30s or 40s that okay. that has just something that's really uh, impacted current musicians. Probably will be harder to find and or listen to. Yeah. And the you can't listen to the original music and any um, it would also make it so that you can't use it in current Correct. music. Too. Even things like covers will be harder to, to effectively do uh, for these types of recordings as well. So they're trying to protect these works, but it's also making it very hard to listen to them. So you can't really make any revenue. Correct. So. And, and that's that's kind of the problem with the classics piece of it. You know, it, it that's a lot more complicated than just the overall MMA act in general. I think when you're dealing with 72 or pre-1972 recordings, there's a heck of a lot more. And and I will self-confess, I'm probably more versed in other topics than the pre-1972 since uh, I wasn't born in, <laughs> until after that. Um, so I, I, I don't have many firm opinions or or kind of thoughts uh, against or, or for this measure of it. Um, I just hope that it sort of works out to where there is a way that estates and heirs can be compensated, um, but also that consumers don't miss out on, on some great music as well. So since that's a, a quite a lot of information, uh, so what would this bill essentially do for musicians? I know I keep asking you for you yeah, to like, no, summarize, it, summarize. It's, but, it's yeah. probably best to keep asking, actually. <laughs> uh, effectively, this just basically improves a dysfunctional mechanical licensing system. Okay. So, um, you know, and what a mechanical license is, for those that may not know, these are royalties that are paid to songwriters and artists when music is sold. So think about it like as a CD or vinyl, but also when music is streamed. And that is a streaming mechanical, uh, and that really occurs from on-demand services like Spotify. Songwriting mechanical royalties are set by the government, though, and that's what's called a compulsory license, which right now is set to about $0.09 cents of every dollar earned via a sale or stream. So current copyright regulation wasn't really created at a time when services like Spotify or Apple Music uh, were around, and they're kind of a hybrid of sort of performance and sale, even though they're online on-demand streaming. So they both pay performance royalties and mechanical royalties to songwriters and artists. Spotify pays about 10% of its revenue to songwriters, split between mechanical and performance royalties, and about 60% to the artists. So services like Spotify don't have to necessarily negotiate with songwriters because the government sets those rates. Through the consent decree for PROs and a compulsory license, for mechanical licenses. Effectively, just to keep it simple, the government is going to increase the rates and people and songwriters are also going to make more money than they currently are, which puts the DSPs in a pretty tough spot, of course, because these are companies that are 
burning a lot of cash to begin with just to run and, and um, you know, and, and be profitable. So that's why I think overall you may start to see kind of like a Netflix-like approach to what Spotify and Apple Music will do. You know, you're probably going to see them create their own content that they potentially will own one day or do exclusives and releases from artists that they don't necessarily have to seek out so many licenses because they're creating and owning it on their own um, just to kind of bypass some of this. And that too will have its cost and, you know, issues and legal, et cetera. But it becomes a lot uh, easier to deal with when you're effectively creating it on your own. So I, 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 that's more of a prediction and an opinion, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens. I'm curious if any DSPs, do they actually provide a um, an itemized list of when they send royalties? You know, if this is for the mechanical royalties, this is for this, or they just give a lump sum and that's it. Yeah, you know? so that's a good question. I mean, in some DSPs actually do, others don't. Um, we can't speak to specifics as to who does or doesn't. Okay. Um, for contractual reasons, but that that does kind of pose a problem sometimes because whenever any royalties are being issued, folks are asking like, well, what's the mechanical of it? And the reality is we're not necessarily given, um, you know, uh, transparency over that because that piece is deducted from what we're getting and being sent directly to a performing rights organization like ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC. So um, yeah, it's uh, some do and some don't. And there's deals that have been struck, which are public knowledge where, um, Pandora may now, or Sound Exchange, or, or any of these other services may actually engage directly with a record label or distributor or publisher, and rather than kind of uh, putting those royalties to go to the PRO, they're just paying it out directly now as well. So that is certainly a much more simpler approach, if you ask me. So, do you think the MMA would um, affect that? aspect of it um it should like regulate it you know like, yeah i mean you know we're, we're living in a in a different type of world as we know politically uh so i think that the current mindset is less regulation so probably i don't know how much that would be affected and that kind of is a whole other can of worms aside of what even the whole mma piece would be i would say so you mentioned that it's still, you mentioned something about how it hasn't been approved yet or something. So what, what is the current standing of the MMA? Yeah, so this is literally what's happening as of right now. And it's kind of interesting. It's when politics and music meet. Um, so the MMA has already cleared the House and a crucial Senate committee without a single opposition to vote, which is really amazing to see that yeah. both sides of the aisle have actually gotten together here. <laughs> uh, but on July 17th, 2018, uh, private equity firm Blackstone, which they purchased the performing rights organization CSAC in January of 17, they submitted a proposal that MMA proponents say would effectively doom the legislation by upsetting the fundamental structure of the bill to benefit its private company at the expense of the entire music industry. And I did read that one word for word because that is an actual quote. Sounds pretty selfish. Yes, yes. <laughs> so at the heart of the issue you know, for Blackstone is that the nearly 100-year-old Harry Fox Agency, the Rights Management and Collection Society, which uh, was bought by CSAC in 15 for about $20, million, or $20 billion, it is a crazy amount, um, has acted as a hub for administering and distributing licenses on behalf of music publishers for a long time. So the MMA in establishing its proposed mechanical license collective uh, to, or, to be overseen by a board of publishers, which includes four self-published songwriters, allows the HFA to, or the Harry Fox Agency, to compete as a vendor in an open market, but it could also devalue CSAC's investment. So, you know, the whole act is trying to create kind of a 
a, uh, a new organization that kind of handles these sorts of payments and royalties. And there is already an organization that's kind of doing that, but just not with as much access and transparency to everybody. That just so got bought? That was bought by, um, by CSAC, which was bought by Blackstone. So this massive conglomerate in, uh, in Blackstone is obviously trying to derail things because it, it directly impacts their, their business. So the proposal to change the bill at this point, it's, it's sparked a lot of criticism with supporters of the legislation saying that the changes really could honestly derail the entire thing. Um, so July on July uh, 25th, and, and this I did also print out to read, um, CSAC further stated that CSAC is America's second oldest PRO, and we have a long history of advocating on behalf of songwriters and providing a premium value of their work unavailable at other PROs in the U.S. since the 1940s. CSAC is a driver of competition that benefits all songwriters, and CSAC wholeheartedly supports the goals of the MMA, and wants those goals to be made law just like you do. But we are concerned that a lack of competition might damage not only our business, but songwriters too. There's more to that quote, but I think that that's kind of enough. Effectively, it's um, Blackstone and CSAC trying to really protect their interests here, um, which in one sense you can understand, but in another sense, um, if when you look at the entire big picture, looks a little bit like they're they're just trying to, to look for themselves instead of the betterment of the entire industry, so to speak. So it's uh, it's tricky. And at the end of the day, you know, this is 100 percent in development. And even as we do this podcast, there's probably changes uh, that might <laughs> even move things further or, or farther. It's a uh, time will inevitably tell. But this has been kind of a pretty interesting journey to see at least the government uh, in this kind of current administration even sort of be thinking about creators and artists. And I think that it'd probably be more negative for them to to, to, to not be supporting uh, things like this than to be, uh, you know, against it, so to speak, so. Sure, yeah, it's great that they're actually just addressing it, yeah. you know? Yeah, so we'll see. Okay, well, that was very detailed, and I, I think I'm still a little confused, but yeah. basically, uh, in, in a nutshell, it's it's a an act that's, it's, it's being proposed to help songwriters yes, get correct. what they they deserve for yeah, their work. Absolutely. You know? And you know what I would definitely tell every anybody listening to this podcast is you know on our blog we're we're posting things as as the story develops, but there's a lot of really cool articles online that um, effectively kind of explain things uh, in in a simpler manner even. Um, there's also interviews on YouTube that are going on, kind of doing similar to what we've done here on this podcast. So it is pretty interesting to just sort of sit back and kind of read. Um, but I can, I got to tell you, it's very confusing. And I've been to many panels about this, and I leave pretty exhausted afterwards because the conversation is just not as fun. So hopefully you guys are all awake there and have not skipped <laughs> this podcast and that uh, there was something of, uh, of proper measure that you learned from it. I mean, I definitely picked up a couple more things because I was very confused about this when it first came out. So I'm glad that you kind of ex- expounded on it a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's my pleasure. All right. So uh, to wrap it up, uh, so what upcoming events does Symphonic have going on? Sure. So right now, uh, if you're looking at our social media in, in this time frame, which we're uh, it's July uh, right now, we're, we're doing a lot of promotion for our uh, Vibes of the Bay event. It's a community-oriented event uh, supporting independent musicians in our Tampa headquarters market. So I think this is our fourth uh, straight year doing it. Um, and we're going to have a lot of great bands out there on August 18th. Um, at Crowbar. Here, at Crowbar here in Tampa. So uh, 
check it out. If you're not in Tampa, there's a lot of great talent that we're starting to promote about it that is definitely worth listening to. Definitely. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, you're just getting geared up for conferences and other events. We're going to have representatives out in uh, in Reeperbahn, which is in Hamburg, Germany, in September, as well as uh, in Amsterdam uh, for the Amsterdam dance event as well in October. So announcements will go out to uh, to our client base as well as just publicly in case anybody wants to meet up. Great. Uh, so since you are the CEO, what company news can you share with us? Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> so, yeah, 2018 has been really awesome so far. We've uh, hired some really great people um, that are in our New York office, uh, folks that have a tremendous amount of experience and that are going to be able to um, add great uh, value to our clients from a client marketing perspective. So uh, I'm really excited about that. We're getting much more solid and, and clear uh, on what we're going to be doing from a technology roadmap standpoint. So we're really working on thinking about what type of uh, tools we can do that can actually help you. Um, and we'll have actually a lot of really awesome, cool announcements in the next few weeks regarding the overall Symphonic brand and, and other moves that we're making. Um, so it's exciting, but I do got to say that Video distribution is also kicking butt because of you, Vanessa. Oh, so, stop. <laughs> so keep uh, keep on rocking and getting these awesome music videos out there. Yeah, I love it, man. I, I come in, like, I see I have, like, you know, a big batch of videos that came in. I'm like, ah, I can't wait to get started. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what I always love about uh, what you do and also just the service in general is that, you know, there's some incredibly talented cinematographers out there. Yeah. I mean, just to see some of the stuff that, that we get to distribute, it's, it's truly an honor, but also, like, I'm a big film guy as well as as music, so it, it really kind of always peaks my film. Uh, my film, uh, I don't even know what what it peaks, but it's it's really awesome. That's that, that's that's for yeah. sure. Yeah, and actually, we recently just hit 1,000 videos distributed. 1,000 videos that Vanessa painstakingly distributed to everybody for all <laughs> you awesome people to enjoy. It's definitely not an easy process because video is quite huge, but. Uh, yeah, it's pretty awesome, man. It really is. Yeah, we uh, we discussed, we had the video distribution podcast, but we did uh, talk about how it still is a, a manual process, you know, so it's, uh, I have literally like, you know, uh, touched every single video yeah. and delivered it to each partner. So I, I recognize it when I see it out there. Yeah, if you ever want your music video distributed, you will talk to this awesome gal, Vanessa, and she will let you know even when the thing's coming out. It's, it's a... Uh, it's a really good personal touch. That's one of the cool things about what the service is and what the company, I think, is about, too. So Definitely. All right. So I think on the last one, uh, Jen and I, we talked about uh, Spotify. And because we were talking so much about music and Spotify, we ended up not uh, talking about what we are currently listening to. Right. So I'm bringing it back. <laughs> so this is actually cool because Jeanette and I, for those that don't know, I'll just say it out there, Jeanette's my wife. So what? Uh, yes, what a surprise. <laughs> um, so her and I actually are really, really into this artist right now. Um, his name is Moses Sumney. I hope I, hope I said that correctly. But it's Moses and then S-U-M-N as a Nancy E-Y. And he's got this song called Doomed that is a very kind of like slow haunting type song that we absolutely freaking love. It, it's just really deep and really, um, you know, really moving, but like really well sang and really well produced. And he has a ton of great other material, too. He's kind of blown up uh, heavily. Um, so it's an artist that I would recommend. He just did a song with Flume as well. That's really cool. So. Wow. Uh, well, 
predictable me, <laughs> uh, Muse just came out with a new single called Something Human. So I've been checking that out. Um, it's a good track. It's it's more like pop sounding right. than uh, their usual rock. And I like more their rock music, but yeah. I'm not going to be one of those people that are like, oh, I hate it. They should right. go back. You know, yeah. they're they're artists you know they're allowed to evolve their music as however they want you know the music video though is really cool it has kind of like a uh i don't know like a futuristic uh yeah to it (laughs) i remember a few uh, might have been like a few years ago they did this campaign where i think they had everybody that would just they filmed all this footage and they wanted people to put it together i hope i'm thinking that that was muse but uh, I'm a big Muse fan as well, so I, I know that you are a massively huge <laughs> Muse, Muse fan. And regardless of the pop sounding stuff, I'm sure if you hear that stuff live, it's going to be pretty. Oh, rocking, absolutely! You know, yeah. So. Uh, and then the only other thing is I uh, because and I've mentioned this before, I still purchase music off oh, iTunes. Wow, you know, yeah. I just I like to listen on my on my uh, on my phone and stuff. So I recently purchased a new Panic at the Disco album, and go. I really like it. So. That's awesome, by the way, that you're still uh, downloading. I wonder. There's all these rumors real quick about, obviously, uh, Apple shutting down iTunes next year. And let me just really kind of like go on that for a quick second. Um, the whole thing that's been talked online about Apple shutting down iTunes in 2019 is kind of inaccurate. They are really just saying that they're going to be making a decision on that in 2019. But they're not going to just shut off you know, connoisseurs like yourself from, from purchasing music overnight. Eventually, it is likely that downloads will go away, um, but that may be like three to five years from now where that really makes sense for Apple to do that. So for people that do enjoy purchasing like yourself, I think you have a good uh, amount of years still left doing that. So I just wanted to put that out there because uh, <laughs> even Apple themselves, as secretly as secretive as they are, are quite publicly uh, realizing that downloads are declining, but recognize that they're not just going to shut things off right away well i have noticed what they have started i don't know when they started doing this but um when you if you go to the itunes store and you click like on a desktop and you click copy link mm-hmm. uh and then you send it to somebody it actually opens it up in apple music instead of the Look itunes store yeah, they, so. they automatically so you have to uh so i had a client ask me like can i have the direct link to have it open in the store mm-hmm. and so i i looked it up and there's a way that you can do it you have to change the url and put like colon store so yeah, i don't know you you actually have to go in and physically change the url that's definitely them progressively moving towards it and over time, it's it's kind of inevitable. Sorry, Vanessa, that That's you like right. to I purchase. mean, I will adapt when but, I'm forced to adapt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know what? Apple is tremendously good at that. I mean, every new iPhone doesn't even have a headphone jack, and we're all cool with it. So this is going to be the same thing, but they'll do it with, I think, enough notice. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll wrap things up. Thanks again for being on, Jorge, and for explaining the uh, very intricate (laughs) MMA. (laughs) I hope I did all right, and uh, thank you for having me, and keep up the great work. All right. Thanks. See you guys later. Bye. Bye.